allowed to drink a pot of milk with three teaspoons of margarine in it. That for the Dutch, we could have, we said two cups a day. Kids six to 12 could have four cups a day. We allowed to eat Joe bacon, fat bag, navy beans, navy ground uh, hamburger meat, and uh, yellow nice vegetable. Uh, just cheap food that sometimes we don't like, sometimes our kids doesn't like, but we have to eat it. About, make sure you get neck bones, potatoes. Well, uh, they slime. really don't like your neck bone not on the menu. I haven't seen neck well, bones Well, uh, they just trying to tell you how to set up what they call a decent diet, but I like neck bones. I'm used to them. Yeah. You know, and then the doctor tell us to go on a diet when we get too fat, like me. And you're supposed to go on a diet with, neck, with, with potatoes. I guess you eat one spoon of potatoes, one spoon of macaroni, and one spoon of beans. Yep. And you're still eating stock. Right. One spoon of rice. You buy, you know, a hundred pound sack of flour, a hundred pound sack of rice, a hundred pound sack of beans, and you mix it all together. You know, this is an everyday conversation we're listening to. This, these could be ladies uh, who are listening right now, perhaps. But uh, these are ladies living in certain parts of our city who happen to be welfare recipients. Have me so often subject of editorials living off the fat of the land. Well, listen to the conversation of <laughs> uh, four women, Mrs. Dovey Thurman, uh, Mrs. Jean Schmura, Mrs. Catherine Dandridge, and Mrs. Bessie Bell, who are welfare recipients and finally decided to get together. Uh, the members of organizations, all part of a general welfare rights organization nationally. Before we ask about the groups, the conversation I was hearing just now, Mrs. Dandridge, you were talking about what you're allowed, they meaning the social yeah public aid the public, public aid welfare what they allowed us to eat we're not allowed to eat a dry cereal only cook cereal like cone bush roller oats yeah. and uh something like that i mean we not can't eat cone flakes or cheerio you know you can't they, eat dry cereals no no dry cereals not allowed in our budget and then you want you hear people say that uh, welfare recipients are shiftless and lazy. They have no get up and go when they feed you everything to make you want to sit down and rest. You stay tired, your energies run down, your, your physical condition is in a, you're not in a good physical condition. You can never be well and feel like doing a good job on anything you do because you must have the proper diet to have a, 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 a good body functions, you know. And yet, and then the jobs they send you out don't call for manpower. You got to be able to do the work. And a person who doesn't feel good, they can't concentrate at home. They can't take care of their children properly. The mother's nagging and she's upset all the time and the children are frustrated. That leads into problems with school and run away from home and all this kind of jazz when the department uh, uh, puts you in this, it keeps you in a system where you're depressed and there's no way to pull out of it. They won't even give you a chance. And it starts from food, clothing, rent, everything ties right in with depression. It just keeps you right there. Yet they want to know why we don't pull out. Why don't they give us a chance? Give us a wholesome, decent diet. Me with a heart condition, I'm supposed to have a special diet. The doctor told me plenty of meats. What meats? Neck bone, tired of neck bone, pig feet, you know, and stuff like that. That's not meat, fat back. That's not meat that you eat to lose weight. You know. Well, let's get this, Mrs. Thurman. Then this is what you, the, the what you describe the neck bones, the fat back, is what you describe. This is part of what she eats. Of what you get because right. of the Good of time. the of the low the budget. Oh, See, so you get like we well they just went raised it. I think a dollar 
Watch out, Mrs. Bell. That's include that's including clothes and food, that dollar raise. Mm. So we now we can splurge a little bit and maybe get an extra bean or something. And we uh we allowed twenty two cents, maybe twenty two and a third, now they raise it. Per meal, per person in our family, and this is to prepare a meal, say for a, uh, a family of four for one meal, and I multiply that twenty two cents four times. Maybe I, I come up with uh what is it? I'm not 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80 and they allow me $321 a month. That is nothing. Nothing at all. Well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure something out, a few things about these regulations. You mean, does not allow, you mentioned earlier cornflakes or puffed rice. No, or, no. Rice is not allowed? Not allowed. Only cooked cereal made out of cornmeal and uh, rolled oats. Is no, that, that, that is. rolled oats? Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a specific yeah, so suppose you describe, uh, we'll keep this open. I just won't ask so many questions. It's just so, be eavesdropping, so, uh, Mrs. Dandridge. For the eggs, uh, you know, definitely like <coughs> six or seven eggs per week, plus uh, kids six to 12, maybe four or five eggs per week. So I was thinking, we just were joined by somebody, Mrs. Uh, Collins. Mrs. Mrs. Holland, we're just talking about the diet, you know, uh, about what's allowed, no dry cereals. So you can join any time, Mrs. Holland, in the conversation. Probably lean a little closer to the mic, perhaps. Here, maybe this way, toward me, maybe. And this is an informal conversation, just catching up with the events. Mrs. Dandridge is, uh, and Mrs. Thurman, and Mrs. Tour, and Mrs. Bella giving us the facts of life. And, and really, after we get our check, our food check, we might eat pretty good for one week, yeah. then a little the next week. And next week, the next two weeks before we get with you, we don't have anything to eat. Our kids have to go to school hungry because if they eat anything for breakfast, he won't have anything for lunch. And uh, if they're not going to school, you have to keep them in the bed late so they really won't have a two meals on Saturday and Sunday. That's a small you mean lunch. No breakfast. Breakfast is skipped? Breakfast has to be skipped. That's a small lunch and then something so you won't be <coughs> crying when you go to bed hungry. How is it doing? And due? I have often, you know, had maybe if I have dinner around by 6 o'clock, I have often got bags of popcorn to pop, you know, so you won't go to bed hungry. Oh, so popcorn, because yes. it pops and swells yeah, up, up, gives and, the impression yeah, of and gives some food. Water. Is that it? How is it with you, Mrs. Holland? We're pretty much the same, you know. Uh, like you said, uh, when you first get your your our check from the welfare, you eat pretty good for a couple of weeks, and uh, after that, you if you you have to be almost a home economics, you know, just shrimp to make it, you know. Otherwise, you don't make it. Well, I'll really, I don't see how they could make it off of that. Uh, one thing they're talking about. Um, we don't pay tax and all this job. You know, when they send out these food stamps, everybody think food stamps are really good, but really they're not because we pay tax on food stamps. Every time we go to store to buy food, we got to pay tax. She and took the word out of them. I was just 
that people, you know, stress. Well, they get food stamps, they get a bonus, but that bonus is usually taken up in taxes when you, after you pay your taxes on your food you buy. And the only, the, I'm gonna tell you, it's funny with the food stamp. The food stamps, if you go spend them book by book, uh, like a dollar a day or something, you mess them up. It really messes them up. Yeah, but if you spend it in a large quantity, all the stuff that you buy at one time usually takes up all the food stamps you get for that whole month. And it only lasts no more than a week and a half. You were just saying, so there's sort of a, when the check first comes in, the sort of, the fact that there's something in the house, that it's a right. sort of celebration. Well, like, we like yeah. live like, maybe uh, uh, people would live who's, who's up to the poverty bracket for a week and a half. Who up to, you know, we can eat decent food. Like, but after that week and a half, uh, you're calling your caseworker, maybe for a dispersion order, or, and if you get a dispersion order, it's deducted from your check, so you still don't gain anything from that, you know, and you just live hungry till the rest till the next check comes well, in. Well, for me, since they gave me a, a raise on my food stamps, but they didn't raise my check. They raised my uh, stamps from forty-two, from forty-one dollars to forty-six dollars, but they didn't raise my check. But still, I have to uh, pay this money for the food stamps. But they don't give me no extra money for so, it. I'm thinking, so breakfast is skipped, and Mostly. then there's popcorn at night yeah. uh, before bed, so there's the impression mm -hmm. of filling, filling. That's right. My kids got it good because mm -hmm. my two little girls, they go to Head Star and they eat there. I don't have to worry about it. My little boy, he doesn't eat breakfast, but he eats lunch. He goes to school and eats his lunch. And, then. and so we also have a clothes lounge in our budget. How's the clothes? How's it go with clothes? Butchers have to be used for rent and utility <laughs> and help buy food to finish out. Right. So therefore, we cannot get any clothes. Now, uh, for teenagers going to high school, our budget would say, my budget would be $9.01 for a teenager that's going to high school per month. We get a nine dollars. Nine dollars and one cent. Yeah, there is one cent allowed. Yeah, they, one nine cent. That's my cent. And uh, so from six to twelve, I think about five dollars and eighty-eight cent per month, which wouldn't buy a pair of shoes. So that have to go for utility. Have to finish paying rent because they will not pay over ceiling. Ceiling is ninety dollars on rent, and uh, if the landlord funds you everything, <laughs> you can get a hundred seven, hundred eleven. Like that, but if the man law don't find nothing but heat and water, well, you still get about ninety-four dollars for it. That's the ceiling, and fifty-six with my family, with eight and family. So therefore, we got to have light. We still got to have gas. So we have to take the clothes money to pay the gas bill and the light bill. Also, finish our popcorn uh, money. I like to say they allow us thirty. Was thirty-five dollars for a coat? Oh, a coat. Yeah. Thirty-three. 50, no more than 35. Right, and if you extra large, then you gotta go all the way to Springfield to get it approved to get you a, a, a larger coat and get more money. But that coat is supposed to last you for four years. So therefore, you're only supposed to tear one fourth of that coat a year for, and make sure it lasts you for four years. Oh, that's it. And, uh, uh, and how can you expect an adult or a child or anybody, well, this is for an adult, how often do they allow children coats? I don't know. They might get them one every two so years. So what, what I'm listening to, so Mrs. Holland, you going to say something, uh, Mrs. Chamora? Were you going to add something to this? Uh, uh, Mrs. Chamora, were you going to say something about this? Mm -hmm. We're talking about the coat. That's the last four years. Uh, as I'm listening now to 
the five ladies talk and get the idea that everything is regulated and pinpointed. That's right. And you can't go out your life, your, your very right. life is. Right, yeah. everything is budgeted right down to the, they, when they figure your budget out, they figure out to the last bit, even the one-third cent is going for something, you know. And uh, uh, you're not supposed to go over that budget for nothing. Now my total income, they say a family of four is set up for me at a $212 a month which $100 goes for rent, then I pay my own light and gas. And and that's my budget, that's including food, clothing, rent, Anything you can name. Anything you can name. <laughs> and they say you can live off of it, and why do you gripe, you know? And uh, if you care, why don't you get up and do something about it? Don't be so shifting and lazy, get using these taxpayers' money. But I'm a taxpayer too. And what's so terrible about the budget, we have to live on the same thing across the world, I tell you, when kids are going to school as we do across the summer when they're at home. And so, I mean, we just can't do it. I mean, we can't, we have to send our kids to school and need extra warm clothes, which they can go halfway with gym shoes on across the summer. And we don't get a penny allowance on our budget. So, well, you getting a uh, clothing allowance in no. your check. Why don't you save your uh, check your clothing allowance out of your check and go and buy your kids some things. But how can you do it when you every time you get your check, you got to use it for different stuff in the house? You can't even buy uh, tissue paper, soap, toothpaste, washing powder. Well, well, let's hear about stamps. that. I, 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 heard, I heard something about you talking about that the matter of tissue paper and uh, toothpaste. That, that's that, that would come from <coughs> a household supplies. You get $2 think, or something. In my, in my check, I get $125. Yeah, you get that out of that. That's and you get a personal allowance, too. How much is that? It's 125 When all, when, see, when you buy all that, you just have to use that for food. That's and right. when you buy your food stamps, you ain't got nothing. You can't, when it, you go to the store, they tell you, well, you can't get this here on food stamps. You have to use, you have to pay cash for this. That's what I mean. The food stamps are all right. But then that's just for food, and that's only. But you can't get like washing powder. You can't get uh, toilet tissue. tissue. You can't toothpaste. So that's got to come out of your check again. It's to me, it's extra money. Those like food stamps aren't good. Bleach, uh, maybe you would need a broom, a mop. That's right. That's all extra. I was just thinking, if you ever had an emergency to go see a doctor downtown or something, that means you take a bus. Yeah, you'd have to walk, because half the time you ain't got the car for four bucks. Well, I was thinking, that's 40 cents. Let's say it would be 80 cents, wouldn't it? 40 back and forth. Oh, you've you got transfer <laughs> off. Let's say, you have, where you live, you have to transfer off. Yeah. So it's 90 cents. Yeah. Oh, what does that do? I, I, 90 cents? That takes care of what, then? Let's <laughs> see. That takes care of a whole uh, supply, a supply of food. Mm -hmm. for that's about that's anyway. three and a half meals, isn't mm -hmm. it? Right. Twenty-two cents a meal, right. or more than that. Right. Four I, meals. I have a baby with an ear infection. She was supposed to be in for a children's memorial in hospital for a checkup, and it's already gone. On the second week, I can't take her because I haven't got the car for. We're talking to uh, five welfare mothers, in case people may have tuned in late, and merely discussing uh, daily activities, daily lives, and what is faced that which is so often uh, taken for granted, not hardly, hardly thought about, becomes an emergency each day. Each, each, everything is an emergency then, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Miss right. Harlan, something else I would like to mention, you know, about our emergency clothes <coughs> that we have got, because we couldn't afford to keep, in 1968, uh, we couldn't afford to keep our kids in school. 
We had to go to the public aid department and borrow money to buy clothes for our kids. Also, our budget already is low. We budgeted down to the last penny. This money that we borrowed would have to be deducted out of our budget each month. And where would that leave us? We uh, couldn't afford to buy clothes out of a check in the first place. Also, we borrowed the money, but the money will be deducted. 25 up to $50 will be deducted out of our check per month. You know, as, as we're listening, I'm just looking at the, an amazing chart in my hands. It's the Cook County Department of Public Aid General Assistance Monthly Budget Chart. And uh, the figures are, as ladies have been talking about, it looks shocking as you, as you see it in print, you know. Diet allowance for normal pregnancy. None. Well, it says $4.02. Well, you don't get it. <laughs> Your family of one, family of three or more, $3.35. Why does it go down? <laughs> well, you're, you're going to be punished. $3.35. After all, you're talking about living. Right. Well, there's a penalty for that. Right. <laughs> and then we have board and room allowances based on common rate, here not to exceed $80 a month. And laundry and clothing. I don't think I ever seen my laundry allowance. <laughs> well, laundry, my laundry allowance is. I would get $4 a month. You get uh, eight dollars and six between five and six people, persons, you get $4 a month. Right, that's how I'm going to take it. So as we're talking about this daily life, we're talking now about food, every item, challenge looked over. We're talking about clothing, small items. And what about places in which you live, too? We haven't talked about that, have we? No. Well, uh, the place where we have to get places according to our rent. You know, $90 rent these days would not get a, an, an adequate place to live in, a good place to live in. <coughs> and so that's what we have to go from one slum building to another slum building for the live with the ceiling on rent. They talk about. Um, they want to get rid of the slums, but yet they create slums because they only play musical chairs with the slum building. They, because the reason it's like that is because welfare has been so bad that most landlords don't want to be bothered with welfare recipients. They've encountered too many problems with late checks and so forth. So therefore, you end up getting the slum landlord who makes all the money where you still move to another place with rats, big holes in the wall, plaster falling. There's no better than a place uh, that you just move from. And those are the only people that will rent to you are the slum landlords. Because everybody else disrespects welfare recipients and the welfare system. They don't want to have anything to do with it. So it puts you in a hell of a bag. You stay in, like I said before, you tied up in the same system. You could never get out. You run from wall to wall. You hung up. It's run from bag. wall to wall? Run from right. wall to wall. Four walls in the, in the ceiling is coming in right. on top of it. That's We're the way supposed to be one of the best buildings, but really that building is gone down. For one thing, it's supposed to be building a college where we stay at. And they don't do anything to the hallways. The hallways is nasty, it's filthy. They got rats in the building, they got roaches, and the, the heat is not right. It was so smoky in there one night, you had to let up all the windows. And already cold, and you let the windows up and snow on the ground. It's just making the cold in there. But they housing consultant approved these apartments. I don't know how they do it. That's right. Um, Mrs. I went to a lady um, moved and in, got into the city. She had been here for about two months. She was living with her 
cousin for a while, but uh, her cousin had a little trouble, so she had to find her place immediately. So uh, <coughs> she came to the Coco office and uh, for help. She went and applied. They first didn't want to give it to her. So they still left her to look for a place, and I went with her one day to help her look. So we decided to buy a paper, you know, and go look through the paper. We might find something. So we ran across just seven rooms <coughs> for rent, uh, $150 and 150 security. I said, God, this got to be a nice place, you know. And uh, I immediately called a lady, and she said she accepted children, and she accepted welfare cases. So we, we hurried on over there, and when we got there, it's just amazing. To, I wish you could have seen that building. It wasn't fit for a dog, and, and she's asking for $150. It was seven rooms, all right. But she was asking for $150 and 150 <coughs> security, and you wouldn't let your dog stay in that place. Because uh, coming back to uh, Mrs. Thurman's point, uh, your welfare mothers, welfare recipients, therefore you're in a bind, and she's in the driver's seat. Then they want to know what's wrong with the men. You got men, uh, your husbands, and your, and and the baby's fathers. Why don't they help? They have been put into a situation that's similar to ours, especially in the black race. I can speak for the black race because I'm black. They have been put into a position where the man has been dominated all of his life from slavery on up. The woman was the only one who could get work to do. Uh, 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 the white bosses treated the, the men, they just beat them all the time and made them do work on the farms and things. The women could get in the houses and cook and they could get little odd jobs with some other white boss where the men were held back. Okay, this, it, you yourself, if the woman has to have all responsibilities, you feel that's in a man. You're not taking care of your house. You're not taking care of your family. Your wife is doing it all when it's your job to toil and take care of that family. The woman's supposed to stay at home. Well, for, for 300 years, this had been going on, and it's hard to change. They have been split up. They wonder why men lead the families, because this has been done. They the ones started. They split us up from our families. They took the husband and sold him over here and sold the woman over there, see, and they took the child and sold it somewhere else. They started the splitting up. This has, this has grown from generation through generation and the black people. That's why black people try to get themselves together and stop this kind of stuff now. We found out that we can stay together and make it if we just have an opportunity and they stop pushing us for our color. And the black man, the only way now that he can survive at one time was <coughs> so that he had to be out the home for that woman to get aid for her children. Since I think in 1964, someplace back there, they passed the law said here in Chicago that the man could stay in the home and uh, uh, get a job. But then when he go out to get a job, he's discriminated against. He can't get a decent job. He still end up on welfare, supplementary aid. That's what I'm on, supplementary aid. My husband supports me. But I still suffer under the same rules and regulations as if I was on full welfare, you know. They was taking care of me. And then if your, your husband goes out and get a job, he gets the lowest kind of job, paying the cheapest pay. He's breaking his back, and he's not getting any place. He's still running after them rats. He's staying up all night because the family's got problems, which was created by the whole system. We got problems that's going to have to be As you're talking, out. Mrs. Thurman, I'm thinking, you know, uh, you're offering the whole historical basis and 
how all the past is part of this very present. Right. Here's Miss Schmura, who happens to be white. Miss <laughs> Schmura, she's poor though. Right. The poor, I, well, I can offer some information on her, too. Yeah. I mean, Mishmura, <laughs> so here's your case. Well, I could say, it, you know, it, it's, uh, when you have come from a large family, it's, it's very hard. And, uh, of course, your husband gets disgusted, you know, and then he takes off because he can't support the family the way it's supposed to be. And, uh, of course, then from when he leaves, then you have to get, you know, on welfare. And then once you're on welfare, you're also degraded, too. Nobody wants you in society. They don't. They think you are very low and dirty. They don't want to associate with you. And when you say that you're on ADC, forget it. You're out of society. They don't want to have nothing to do with you. Even though you're on ADC or welfare or whatever, you go out to apply for a job. If you tell them, they actually say, well, where, are you? where was your last employer? You say, well, I haven't been employed. Uh, I've been on ADC. No, we don't. We don't have. We That's all true. Field You've up. encountered that. Yes. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to say something to her. In our organization in Uptown, we have most of the people in our organization are hillbilly, southern white people. And uh, uh, you were saying. That's she called was the white. WRDA. The well, for recipients demand, actually. You were saying she was white. Why is she in that bag? It's because the white man has pushed their own people back. The white man has kept by a, a system of racism and <coughs> hatred, he's kept his own people back back there in the hills and in the mountains and down south, fighting us, fighting the black folks. We here working in the same cotton field uh, across from each other, but yet the white man is too good to speak to me because I'm black. When he has sense enough to realize that what is he doing down there working, doing the same thing I'm doing if he's so much better than me. When he wakes up and find out that he's been depressed, he's been used. <coughs> He's been used all the way around. He's been taught to hate us while the man gets all the money and left him back there in the same bag. Then when we try to pull up, he finds out that he don't know nothing. He don't even know as much as we do because we've been taught how to cook and work in kitchens, see? And we had to do a lot of their work for them, and they thought they was getting somewhere, but they wasn't. They wasn't getting nowhere. They was teaching us everything. Now it's time for white folks to unite and to pull themselves up, you know? and to find out just what kind we of have the poor white them. then without right. the realization all those right. beginnings of course right uh, you and i have mutual friend uh, peggy terry of course <laughs> right. the, right. the beginnings of it but you're coming to this uh, mrs thurman offering the historical background to it and your organization is uptown and mrs uh, mrs dandridge is it's called rags w-r-a-g-s yeah. uh, welfare recipients uh, action, action groups well, I'm thinking here about something Mrs. Bell has said and Ms. Shmura has said. Aside from the actual material uh, being deprived, the food, the delivery, <coughs> the clothing, that's ridiculous, the rent, the problem, the places, something else enters this, the humiliation. Right, you just right. talked about how you're looked upon right. by the right. other part of society. Right. Right. That's right. Mrs. Allen, Yes, I would like to say something. I, you know, most people think uh, we enjoy being on welfare, and you know, they call you syphilis lazy, and receiving uh, the uh, pay, uh, taxpayers' money. But it does something to a person psychologically. You know, it, it it's depressing. You know, it's frustrating. You know, it, just imagine yourself, uh, your child coming to you uh, saying. Uh, I'm hungry, and when you don't have nothing in the kitchen for him. I mean, this does something to you. You know, you want to scream out and say, help, somebody help, you know? It also does do something about being on public aid. I would say to the kids that go to school, right. 
because uh, I told my kids, I said, well, it's really hard for me to really fix three meals a day. That's coming home for lunch. I said, I will go to school and apply for free lunch. Well, they refused. They said they will not go in the lunchroom and get free lunch. They would rather starve first than to do it. So why should I go and apply when they refuse to do it? They'd rather come home and drink water, eat a soda crack, and go back to school because they have so many friends that's in their room uh, not even getting free lunch. And they would want to know why are they getting free lunch. I even also told I said, just say your mother come out there and pay for the lunch earlier. But they said they refuse to do it. And I don't see why that our kids have to call. We are on public aid. have to be humiliated, you know, like that. Have to go get free lunch. And also, I think if we could get enough money to support our kids, our needs, not our wants. I'm not asking for our wants. Our wants never fail. But our needs, that it would help us keep our kids in school, help them to get better education so they won't grow up on public aid road like we have, okay. like they have. When they, when they get grown, grown up and have kids, their kids won't come up on public aid system. And that's all we asking for. We are just asking for a decent budget to help us raise, raise our kids and keep our kids in school. Why did so they, they set up the education? poverty line at $3,000 when they have people living way below that, that line? That shouldn't be the poverty line. If it is, bring us up to it, you know. And we have a problem in the school. Kids is always come teachers sending home for this, sending home for books, sending home for you got to have paper, you got to have crayon, you got to have bowl pipe in, you got to have this. Well, why did that come from? Out the same budget that they so allow we, us so to So buying you know, school stationery also is part also of it. That becomes a problem, yeah. too. That's right, because sometimes they come home and they say, Mama, I got to have some paper. At that time, I don't even have the money. I have a little money, got to buy lunch. Then they said, well, I got to have paper. If I don't have a paper, the teacher will do this. The teacher said that. I said, well, I'm sorry. Let's I just can't give you any paper. Let's dwell on something Mrs. Dandridge touched on earlier about the children mm -hmm. and their own feelings. Right. You were saying the children don't want, they'd rather not have that free lunch because right. they feel right. humiliated. That's right. Mrs. Uh, usually uh, the school pass out special tickets, you know, mm -hmm. for this free lunch. <laughs> immediately, you know, the other kids uh, know that this child is receiving aid and they start making fun of saying dirty things and this humiliates the child and he just refused it, you know. Also, there's another reason for school dropouts. There's a, there's a lot of reasons for girls end up getting pregnant before they finish high school for the simple reason that at home, the home isn't adequate. They can't go to school like they want to, like they see the other children. They might need shoes. They have to wear raggedy shoes to school. And after a child reaches a certain age, they get very proud. And, you know, they want to start dressing and looking like everybody else. They can't participate in all the activities because they don't have the money. Uh, and they can't understand why you can't give it to them. Children just don't understand why you can't give them money when they ask for it. Because they feel like you're supposed to have it. And that causes them to get frustrated. They end up, they get snobbish, which a lot of teachers are prejudiced against welfare children anyway. Uh, uh, they get them to last and they make them last. And they, a lot of them get into it with the teachers. They're angry from something happening at home. They get into it with the teachers at school. They get suspended. A lot of them drop out and say, I don't want it no more. I don't have stuff to carry. I look at me. Why should I go to school in these kind of pants? And you know? get the worst education. Right. And I, I have something to add to that because I, you know, I've been in dick. And my son, he dropped out of school at the age of 15, two months before school was out. 
Because uh, his shoes had holes in his head, so she was torn, his pants were torn up. And I really made him leave home, and I thought he was going to school. Instead, he was out looking for a job, put his age up to 19. People called me on the phone, said, Miss Larry, your son, you know, by name, said, how old are you? Well, I don't know what they want. I said, he's 15. He out trying to get a job at the age of 19. So I know his hair has something to do with him. When they have to go to high school, dirty, raggedy, no clothes put on his dude. You know, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm listening to Mrs. Thurman, Mrs. Dandridge, Mrs. Bell, Mrs. Schmora, Mrs. Holland talking, five ADC mothers, the very phrase itself, see, the very phrase, the adjective, ADC mothers, gives, gives you a title, you see. But as you listen, I'm thinking about the children now. Uh, no dry cereals, and so many often cases, no breakfast. The last meal at night was the popcorn. And then going to school with certain kinds of clothes being laughed at, and thus coming to the free lunch that the child cannot, because of his pride and humiliation, swallow. And so we have, a surprise aren't more dropouts. That's right. And they try to figure out how to keep the kids in school when they push them out. So Mrs. Holland, I know that you you had something in mind. Uh, Here lately, I I had a girl that asked me, a white girl, she asked, you know, why do ADC women have so many children? (coughs) Which was you know, and uh, I went on to tell her, you know, in the past, uh, uh, you know, colored women have been excluded from the birth control uh, information uh, contractors, whatever you want to call it. And uh, they went on, they, in, instead of uh, give, having their baby and giving it up, they keep their baby. And rather than taking something to uh, to get rid of the baby, they go and have this baby. Whereas white girls or white women usually can afford to get abortion or they send this girl off to other countries to have this baby and give this child up, you know. I think a point here that uh, Mrs. Holmes making is a very terribly important one, (laughs) how statistics are twisted and tortured round and about, quite obviously. (laughs) Well, several things are raised. For one thing, there's affection for children. <laughs> That's one thing. <laughs> but aside from that, the fact that uh, the poor uh, can't afford to be sent away That's right. uh, for an appendicitis operation can't afford abortion or, or to visit an aunt in a distant oh, city. Oh, you she oh, had yeah. a baby. Yeah. You can't, can't when this girl come back, it's like nothing never happened, you know. Yeah. Well, you so long, you know. Well, if you have a brother, a father, a parent, another part of the country. You, if they pass, you cannot visit them. You can't even go to their funeral. They got a small f- uh, funeral lounge, but it's very yeah. hard to get you got to really prove they're dead first <laughs> and that they're really your yeah. close relatives, you know. Yeah. But yeah. like an uncle or somebody, somebody that's just but but This is interesting. Could, could we dwell on this for a minute? Yeah. Uh, what are you going to say, Mrs. Shemora? A ridiculous price for a funeral. My daughter passed away four years ago and I was on welfare, or ADC as you call it. They allotted me $75 for a funeral. $75, that's all they allowed you. That's not even half, a, half, of a, a half of a funeral party. Can't you, that's only to walk into the building. Half, that's a fraction. That's a fraction. That's not a tenth, yeah, that's not a twentieth. They allowed me $75, yeah. and I was lucky because this funeral director, the man, I forget his name right now, he took it upon himself to bury my 16-year-old daughter. He buried her, he gave her the coffin, 
and the church gave me the vault and the cemetery lot. It wasn't f through these people, my daughter today would be out in Potter's Field. Yeah, we are cold when it comes to dying. So you don't Yeah, what when it comes to dying? I'm cold. I'm cold. Better try to live and starve on this budget. And you can't have insurance. If, you, if they know you have insurance, they will deduct it or they'll make you quit or something. You cannot have life insurance on ADC. You can't have over 500. So I was then, told you uh, couldn't even have any. You, then you better live, that's one right. thing, because dying live. becomes expensive, well, too. What about this uh, article in the paper about some doctors going to give you, they, you're going to think that they're helping you, but really they're giving you something to kill you. Well, well that's, well, uh, that. well, well, I, well uh, I really was in the, <coughs> in a legislative meeting in Springfield, uh, November the 12th. And I did uh, here, you know, I won't call no name, said that uh, when the Muslim public aid goes to the doctor sick, and they think uh, when the doctor subscribes medicine for them, they think the doctor is subscribing the medicine that he described, but it's only what the legislative board describes. I think that uh, the point that uh, Mrs. Bell and so, Mrs. Dandridge are making uh, are not to be dismissed here by listeners, and that is this, the feeling, not <laughs> that what Mrs. Bell says is true or not, not giving him to kill you, but the fact there is this feeling of humiliation and your life is considered so worthless that people naturally feel that yeah, someone yeah. who represents well, authority does things little of life. A girl brought it into us. Yes. Also, I want, I want to get on the medical thing because a lot of people are discriminated against when going to doctors. They sit out there, they'd be the last ones called in with that green card. And What's the green card? That's your medical card, and it gives you, it's got your name oh, on it. Oh, the green card name. means that you're welfare? Yeah, and uh, it shows that you're entitled to medical care. Also, food stamps, if you allow food stamps. And, and each member of the family was entitled to it. And uh, um, they, they give you, now they give you, they give you substitute for medicine. They don't give you the exact medicine that, say you, if you went to the doctor and you needed a, a prescription for tonsillitis, they would give you uh, the, the exact thing and they would give me a substitute. Because the medical, they got a, a <coughs> certain kind of medicine they allow you in the welfare book that they give to the doctors, and they can only give you what welfare will pay for. You mean there's only That's a certain true. kind of medicine that welfare can pay That's for? Right. And, and what about another kind? Suppose you have a certain kind of illness. You don't bad. get that. Really? I guess maybe That's you have to. That's too bad. You have to go to Springfield or something yeah. and leave. Well, I just, um, I, two weeks ago, it's kind of the same thing she was talking about. This baby, my baby's five months old, she had ear infection. I went to Children's Memorial Hospital with her. They gave you prescription. I took it to Walgreens. He takes the book out mm -hmm. and he's looking at it. He says, Sarah, right. we cannot fill it. I said, where the hell am I supposed to go That's for it? Right. So he said, well, I don't know. So I went to three drugstores. They wouldn't allow, they wouldn't give it, they wouldn't fill it out for me. And I didn't have the dollar at that time because I didn't even have a penny in the house. And that dollar meant a lot to me. Why wouldn't they fill it out for you? Did they know that you were welfare? Yes. No, they the, knew it. the welfare didn't uh, prescribe that certain kind of medicine. I had to pay for it. I see the green card, mm -hmm. and uh, so, once uh, I carry that green card, that's yeah. it. I know she is telling the truth yes. because <laughs> I carried the same thing once. Ago. You know, I we carried this prescription to Walgreens. He got his little book out and said, "The public aid does not allow this." You know, right? Oh, so you only get certain kind of medicine. That's right. Let me get this now. I want to. I want to just have this uh, in my mind. 
the drugstores all have a certain book. Is that it? Right. It says, now pub, people in public aid, women, men in public aid, certain kinds of medicines and no others. That's right. right. Now, if you have a certain kind of illness, needs a medicine not in that book, you don't get it. That's right. You have to you have to come up with some extra scratch or something. Because they don't welfare don't pay for it, and they're not going to give you what welfare doesn't pay for. So I thought uh, this uh, sitting around this way is uh, of interest. This is educational for the people listening because there's little we know nothing of this at all. That is, people who are better off materially know nothing about this. I just wish someone would just live on a budget. Take one of the ADC, do some of the upper middle class people just would just take it and live on it for a month. For a they, month. No, they wouldn't even live on a half a month. Just for, I know, I want to live on for a whole month. They, could, they on couldn't do it. And they just, couldn't just live through. on it and then come and tell us how did they make it. And don't live on anything else with that welfare budget. Follow all the laws. And somebody with three or four kids. I want them to, I would just like to test it. Too, I would true. be willing to bet my whole welfare check that they couldn't do it. I think right. Lois Willie, who was a very good journalist in the Chicago yeah, News, I once, I think, you know, once tried that experiment and yes, showed how that. quite incredible it is, you know. It's uh, hard. And they should, the people that listen should just come and take <coughs> a tour through, through some of the slums and just see how people are living. In these kind of you know, and, uh, also in our budget, we are not allowed uh, dry cleaning. I mean, we're not allowed bed clothes. We're not allowed plates, <coughs> glasses, forks, spoons, and things to eat out. We don't. We're not allowed when you anything. Get that out of you get that. Well, I mean, another thing when you first get on, we're not. You get we don't this, have shoes don't in our no budget. More. They said clothes, not shoes. Shoes not in our budget. But yeah. when we go, not coats. But when we go to the public aid department and borrow the money, buy these things, then we have to pay them back. Now, I want to be fair, public aid, when you, if you know about it, if you don't, that's your hard luck. Mm -hmm. When you first apply and you're accepted, you can get uh, uh, $90. $90, yeah, $90. You can the get first uh, 90 days. Uh, uh, for the first 90 days, you can get money for uh, one plate for each person, one spoon, one fork, like that, one night. Everybody's entitled to one thing. And you can get furniture, one chair, one table, one Second hand at that now. It's right. regular. So okay. Now, if you're on for 10 years or four years later, if any of that stuff tears up, that's too bad. Or if you lose that one fart, it's too bad because they've given it to you. And that's all you're allowed. And uh, uh, you're not able to buy any more furniture. If you get extra stuff, it's deducted out of your check. You get no more so we're talking now about something you might that you might describe as little luxuries, this uh, right. utensil, the silverware. We've been talking now about food, clothing, shelter, uh, thoughts in the minds of children, in Mrs. Holland's case, the thoughts in her mind and all mothers seeing children, transportation, medicine. Right. So almost every part of your daily life is, is uh, regulated. And no sex, mind. No sex. No you want to hear something funny? <laughs> I have seven children, and me, myself, there's eight people. We, I have four kitchen chairs. We eat in shifts. My children eat first, then the, then the oldest children sit. And I had to reheat that stuff the second time because, you know, little ones, they, they play around <coughs> and they don't eat. We eat in shifts. We have four <coughs> kitchen chairs, and there's eight in the family. I have no refrigerator. My refrigerator is the back porch because they won't allow me money for a refrigerator. And it's true. My kids even teach me, gee, Mom, 
our refrigerator on the back porch is full today, isn't it? I want to come to one yes. thing that uh, Mrs. Thurman talked about. This is interesting. You say no sex if there is a man found on the premises. What I'm happens? <laughs> if you can't explain, if he's not your brother, your daddy, or something, and you can't explain what he's doing there, that's it. It can't really be your cousin. That's really? it. <laughs> because your cousin just seems to be your man. This is it. So this is incredible. Let me understand well, this see, now. We're getting you have to explain. Right. The memory, you have to explain his relationship. Right. And, and why is he nice. living there, or if he's there? You know, well, if they come in and say, well, they don't do it to me, but they've done it to other mothers, they can harass you and ask you, what is he doing here? Does he live here? He got a clothes here. He give you any money, you know, and you got to prove that he's your relative if you want to get that money. So we or else they sue you for fraud, too. For fraud, too. Fraud, too, because you're taking money from him, you know, and you didn't report it. So we have a new element here now, the invasion of privacy. Well, that's been that's so. Right. If you go out and find five dollars, they want you to tell them so they deduct them from your next check. You better not look too hard then on the ground. Well, you better not look too hard then on the ground. That's right. Well, you can say, Mrs. I, I encountered once, I was at a friend of mine's house. She was on aid also. <clears throat> and this young man was there, and her caseworker came that day. And uh, she went on to ask the girl a different question. Then she... Uh, asked who was, who was the man, and the girl went on to explain it was a friend. She had this man to bring out all his identification. All his identification, <laughs> and it's just incredible. When I went to the, the welfare, Bessie was with me. When I went to down here at the LaSalle Hotel when they had that welfare uh, uh, convention. convention, we were told, they asked me had I ever had it done. Caseworkers said that they were supposed to by law, fill out this form, I don't know the number, which asks you uh, when is the last time you had sex, who, where, and where it was at, what and how happened? many times, what time was oh, it? Oh, really? Yeah, this well, is did you ask the caseworker about herself? Mother. Oh, well, wait. if they'd ask me that, I, I don't no, know No, wait, I let me get this now. The caseworker asks specifically? A man or a woman, right. I don't yeah. care what kind of case. When? If, he, if your caseworker is a man, he's supposed to approach me and ask me this, because this is the rules and regulations. Some of them said they just would fill it out and wouldn't even mention it, and some of them would mention it to the recipients, and they'd have to ask them or they could be denied public aid. Well, yeah. now, this is a humiliation well, also, strange enough for the welfare worker, right. too. Well, that's also included for a mother to have had a baby, you know, and uh, they will ask you all these you have to fill out that phone. As if you have had a baby, and they want to know who the baby father is, and uh, they want to know when you got a baby, where you were, whatever you did, how many times. I told them that like a bunch of free time it was and all that. That's right. I'm trying to understand one, this is this last part, everything, of course, is incredible that you've mentioned. The food, the clothing, the shelter, the medicine, the transportation, the school. And now you come to the invasion of every aspect of your private life. Every aspect. They're supposed to know your whole family background, your whole life. From day to day, they got to know what you're doing. They know where you're cold, they got to know that. Right. If your toe is hurting, they got to know that. Right. Do they ask you what? Do they ever ask you? your toe was hurting. Do they ever ask you what you're thinking? No, but no, they no, come old. No. Oh, the case when she comes out every three months. Oh, that's me. I'd give them. Some. She comes out every three months to see you. She's supposed to make a home visit. She sits down and she asks you, "How's the kids?" You know, I didn't even know she was writing all that crap down. I said, "Oh, they're fine. They had colds lately." She wrote that down. They had colds lately. 
And uh, and she asked me how was I doing. I said okay, but I start balling out about the welfare. She wrote all that down, and I have a, I had to go get my rent receipts. You got to show your rent receipts and your light bills and stuff if you pay your own light. And I went and got them, and I took them over to her, and I had to glance on the paper. And while she was reading my rent receipt, I was reading what she had wrote down, and she had wrote down the whole conversation that we had. Oh, so there's a back. also recording everything you That's said right. too right. to her right. privately. Right. Yeah. And also, they write down, I mean, if you, they come down in the morning, you have them sleep up. They write us like, come in there, the house not sleep up, the bed not right. laid up. They write down <laughs> every little thing. drinking coffee She drank coffee, or either someone come knocked on the door. Don't be drinking a beer. Anything. Oh, I mean, anything that happened, they write it down. Well, tell me, uh, uh, one last question before we end this, what I think is a very educational mm-hmm. session, certainly for me, and I trust mm-hmm. for the listeners, and speak of the group, the Welfare Rights Organization, and what it means. Uh, the welfare workers themselves, does something happen to them? There are differences, I assume, individually among some, you know, aren't there, the different people. Right. Doesn't something happen to them? Aren't they part of this humiliation, too? Some, some of the workers, they are, they are under pressure, and under, they get frustrated. Most of them quit. They, there's a yeah. big turnover in yeah. caseworkers these days. But there are some just, just like the devil. <laughs> so well, the thing is that you find all your students who graduated and doing casework, I mean social work, they're the ones who began to wake up and see the system, right. how oppressive it is, and they get frustrated and humiliated, and they don't either. They give you everything they possibly can, and they usually end up with a, a supervisor who's tied up in the system, who don't care about the human being, but That's who cares right. about her job, yeah. and making sure that these laws are carried out and is followed exactly. You know, you see people want it exact. The mm-hmm. most caseworkers that you find who care and who are humane are the caseworkers who are young and who just started. And they end up leaving the most. I've had about four caseworkers within the last six months. They all end up leaving or going someplace else. They can't stand it. The oldest one, the older ones who've been with the agency for 20, 30 years, 15 years, They wonder years, about how much years. money they're going to yeah. put out. It's hard to get them to change. <clears throat> so People like, get yeah. set, you know, yeah. and they feel this is my job. It's just like when you go to work and you, if you're not dedicated to your job, you just go do it for the money and you go home and forget it. Well, that's the way they are. And we found that we get frustrated frustration from a lot of the older case workers and the young ones will try to work with us the most of them uh the IUPAE for example the independent uh a union of public aid employees they work with us with all the unions across the city of Chicago trying to make a better relationship while we still fight the ones who think we're we're uh, uh, shiftless, lazy, and we're just kicking up a ruckus. We have nothing else to do, and that we don't need anything else. We find this. I just want to say one little thing. I was on a TV program quite a while ago, and one of the members of our organization was white. She was on there with me, a southern white woman, and she had her hair done up. Her girlfriend had come over and fixed it up the, the same day we went down to the station. And when I got back <coughs> home, after they seen the program, a lady called me, a white lady, and she said that she enjoyed the program and that why should I be on public aid? I seemed like I was very educated and I spoke very well and she don't see any, and I look healthy and she don't see any reason why I should be uh, on public aid in the first place. And that white woman you had with you, she said, how could she say she was on welfare and she had been to the beauty shop and got her hair fixed? She had no business getting her hair fixed on public aid. And she's white, she has no reason to be on there at all. I can understand you people, that's what she told me. 
And she said, but I got a colored girlfriend who brought herself up. She's done made work for so years. So she gave you every cliche in the world. Oh, she told you me know. about how her colored girlfriend done made work and sent her daughter through school. And she's proud. And she's Imitation made. of life. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's just what it is. Patty McDaniel. And, and, and they feel like, well, they, they're very prejudiced against white people as well as black people mm. on public aid. Of course. But this woman, uh, Mrs. Thurman, it seems to me this woman was revealing herself in about five or six different ways. Oh, man, she come down, way. and I told her, I said, well, you talk to the white woman about her problems. she tell you how she got her hair fixed. But me, I can tell you how I got in my bed. Well, it's no excuse now. You people can pull up. There's plenty of work. I know a lot of people need what housekeepers. Oh, my well, God. Well, I want to be a housekeeper. I wouldn't clean nobody's house. Oh, I got nothing I clean my own. It really frustrates you. Now, I imagine we get some calls from this program, but I'm ready to have them when they come in. I would like to say that uh, being on aid is not a privilege, it's a right. Right. That's right. You know, I have a lady friend that also has seven children. She's also on ADC. Well, you know, when, sometimes you have somebody come over, so they have buy a couple of bottles of beer, six pack, you know. So they so they come they buy and you sit around you chit chit chat and this and that and the other. So a woman reported her that she was drinking beer. Well she was she they had these uh detectives that what I don't know what you call them from any city, watching her. They watched her for a whole week straight. She didn't know about it. And on a Saturday night two of them came late at night, one from the back door, one from the front door, they barged in on her and they checked her whole house to see that she wasn't drinking or anything else like that. You know, I think as we're talking now, I think uh, we're talking to uh, five women, uh, welfare women, welfare ladies, that be on welfare, and the women living in Chicago. Mrs. W. Thurman, Mrs. Bessie Bell, Mrs. Jean Schmore, Mrs. Catherine Dandridge, and Mrs. Holland. And we're just talking about daily lives. And we opened, they're all part of the Welfare Rights Organization. And simply talking so that there are aspects of life in our city Maybe don't know about and are discovering perhaps the result of this conversation. So we can keep talking even if we're fading off the way we began. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about the very point Mr. Moore was making, you know, Mr. Thurman, Mr. Bell, and Mr. Standard. Yeah, I just like to remember that we're uh, 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 American citizens, and we're citizens of the United States. Black people are American citizens because they were forced to be, they were put here. White people belong here, they're American citizens, and they should be, we should be treated and respected. And, and enjoy all the quality. This is the land of the free and uh, democracy, and I don't even know what those words mean. I saw them in the book, but they don't apply to no.